we walk through Psalm 91 together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall by your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, because your abiding presence always goes with us, Keep us aware of your daily mercies, that we may live secure and content in your eternal love. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading from the prophet Jeremiah in the 20th chapter. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all the day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot, for I hear many whisperings, terrors on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me, they will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. In our epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome in the sixth chapter. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? 
Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of, dis or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel from Mark's gospel in the second chapter. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the Gospel of our Lord. And you may grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done to gather us into this place, to gather us together into your presence, to give us opportunity to hear your words of forgiveness and love and life that you give us in Jesus. And we pray that you work by your Holy Spirit. Let our hearts and minds rest, knowing that you work by your word to gather us together and to forgive us and to give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been walking through this sermon series with uh, words to be loved by as the weeks have gone on. And this week, again, we come to the third commandment. This kind of rounds out the portion of the commandments that we see as God giving with his relation to his people and how his people are to relate with him. As the weeks go on with the following commandments, we see more of how God's people are to relate with one another. But these first few, these first handful are the ones where we see how God and his people are to relate together. And as you've heard it for many times, it's remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And yet there's a lot more verses after that that kind of set that apart. 
And God is specifically directing his people, the ones he's giving this commandment to there at the foot of Mount Sinai, that they shouldn't work on that day and that their uh, servants in their household shouldn't work on that day and that they should rest from their regular weary labors and all these things so that they can just rest and know that God's got stuff taken care of for them so that they can have a time to be rejuvenated a time to have some peace and not worry about the daily grind as things go on, a day of rest. So I started thinking about all the different words that we use that go around this theme, and then also, when did the Israelites actually start thinking of setting aside a day of rest? Did it happen right there at that commandment at Mount Sinai? Did it happen with Abraham and Sarah? And it was interesting. Scripturally, it's kind of hard to tell. The first one we see absolutely is in Genesis. When we hear of God setting aside that seventh day of rest and blessing it, right? No more creation to be done. Everything was very good and God rested, not because he was tired, but because he got to sit in the midst of his creation with it and enjoy everything that he had created and it was perfect. That's where we see it first. And really the next thing that we start to see as you walk through Genesis and then through Exodus is where God has brought the people out of Egypt and then he's giving them the manna, the daily bread. And he says on the sixth day there's going to be twice as much that falls or gather twice as much so that you don't have to pick any up the next day. But he hadn't given the commandment to set aside the Sabbath yet either. Now, if you go into Jewish tradition, they look at uh, Abram and Sarah, and they say that Sarah would light a candle on a Friday, and it lasted a whole week until the next Friday, and so that was the week-long thing. And on that day then, they would gather together again and rest. Or they even have a tradition within the uh, rabbinic writings where it talks about Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, you can't overwork your slaves, they need a day of rest. And those very well may be oral traditions and things that were handed down. We just don't see them written in a, the older texts of things. So it's interesting trying to kind of think of when this practice of this day of rest came. And then even within our daily lives, uh, we get daily rest, right? You all sleep? Good, okay. If you're not, go see someone. Okay, you do need sleep. You need to rest. We get weekly rest. Oftentimes in the work world, there are very few jobs that are seven days a week on the time, all the time, right? There's generally a day off, even a half a day off for some, but more often than not, there's boundaries put around work so that there's a day of rest or two days of rest, however that work works out. And then yearly, a lot of families go on vacation, right? Interesting word, vacation. Uh, knock off the shun part, and what do you get? Vacate. To leave empty. Wow. To be absent. To be gone, right? And we do. But this seems like such an empty thing. So what do we do? Well, we fill our vacations, right? And they're not often very restful because many times the beginning of our vacations can look like that. It's a great vacation, right? Many of you, I'm sure, have seen that movie. It's a fun movie. Um, but then our vacations start to look like this. Because that, oh, okay, maybe that's a little far. But 
I know any time I've been driving the car, there's times we thought that it was going to end up looking like that. But that's how we think our vacations are going to look sometimes, and that's how emotionally and spiritually they end up feeling a lot of time, when really all we want is this. Doesn't that seem more peaceful? Ah, to have a time of rest. This time where you don't have to worry about anything. And so God gives this to his people, and he says, you need to enter into a time of rest. And as the years went on, they took those words quite literally that he gives in Exodus, where he says, you shall not work, you shall not gather, you shall not pick grain, you shall not do anything, you shall not do all these things, because you are to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, to hallow it, to set it apart for something good. Man, did sin get in the way of that, didn't it? Think about that original day of rest, that original day when everything was perfect, that original seventh day that actually, if you look at the wording of everything, there was morning, there was, e I'm sorry, there was evening, there was morning, there was the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, there was evening, there was morning the sixth day. And the seventh day? There's no evening or morning. Huh. It's almost like God had that seventh day as a day that he wanted to leave going the entire time as he rested and enjoyed the, his presence in the midst of his creation. Something that was intended to move on all the way through eternity. How beautiful does that sound? And then that darn pesky serpent getting people to look inside themselves and not to God and separating themselves out of that rest. So you've got this rest day that's going on and then people got kicked out of it because they trusted their own work, their own desire, their own thing. And all of a sudden, all of the jobs that God had given Adam and Eve no longer were fruitful, but became toilsome, burdensome, wearisome painful, hurtful. Things didn't work the way they were supposed to. The creation didn't react to Adam's holy desires and wishes by God's direction, but it almost reacted to his sinful desires, throwing briars and thorns and thistles instead of fruit. For Eve, childbirth became painful. See, the jobs didn't change, but the weariness and the tiresomeness and the burdensomeness of all of them absolutely exemplified what this sin brought into creation. And we feel that. We know that. In those days of work, and whether it's work that you get paid for or work you don't get paid for or in retirement or any of these things, this work that we do daily ends up weighing heavy. And we feel that burden. We feel that heaviness upon our shoulders. And so to add on to that a law that says you must rest, stop your work, we can see the good intent that God's giving with that, but how much we twist that sometimes so that we end up looking at it in a way to say, well, that's a box to check to make sure I went somewhere and did something for a little while. But no. See, he's not handing it off to you as a legal way to get into his good graces by setting aside some time and stopping work. He's giving us this commandment to say, look, you need to rest. 
You need to know that you're not the one that's always in control. You need to know that I've got it covered for you. You also need to hear my word. You need to hear my words of love. You need to hear my words of grace. You need to hear my words of mercy. You need to hear my words of forgiveness. So as this day is set aside, remember that seventh day. Set it apart for purpose. Because anybody can set aside a day. I mean, how many days do we have set aside in our national calendar for days of rest? We've got Tree Day, also known as Arbor Day, right? We've got Flag Day. We've got Independence Day. We've got Memorial Day, Labor Day. Um, Juneteenth just passed was another one, which is fairly new, right? Mother's Day and Father's Day aren't necessarily national holidays. You know, you don't get Monday off. The banks aren't closed. But they're days to recognize things. But we have all these different days. And even that word right there, we have national holidays. Remember what holiday came from? Holy days. Oh, days set aside to keep holy. Wow. Days set aside throughout the centuries to stop, rest, and work so that you could be able to hear God's word. I mean, what would it be like if on all those holidays we were giving thanks to God for the things that he gave? On Arbor Day, taking time to set aside and say, hey, God, thanks for the creation you put around us. Thanks for all the stuff that you've given that we get to rest in and enjoy and hang on a hammock and just enjoy the sunshine. Thank you for all this world that's around and the beauty that's there. Flag Day, Independence Day, thanks, God, for the place that you've given us that we have so many freedoms. Thanks for these wonderful things that you've given, Lord. And that's one thing to do on that day, as we remember his name and we give him thanks and praise. But then also to be in a place where he gathers you together around his presence. And that's where Jesus is getting when he's walking through the grain fields, right? And the Pharisees are mad. Jesus is standing there in the middle of his creation with his people right around him, and they're enjoying the rest of the day with plucking some grain rubbing it in their hands, taking a little snack while they walk around, early trail mix, right? As they go on this little walk on a Sabbath day, a Saturday morning for the Jews. And the Pharisees are livid. Why are your disciples doing what's illegal? Look, they're not following Moses' law, which is God's word. They're not doing any of that. And Jesus says, <laughs> Pause for a second, guys. Remember what this day is about. Didn't you ever read or remember when David was hungry and he went into the house of God? The temple wasn't built yet, but tabernacle, the place wherever God's presence was, right? This place set aside for him. He says, don't you remember when David went into the house of God where only the high priest was supposed to go into the bread of the presence and uh, have that bread as he communed with God on behalf of the people? But David went in there. God didn't strike him down. He even fed himself and the folks that were with him. Man in the presence of God needing to be fed, running away from the things that were attacking him. That's what the Sabbath is all about. A place for man to run into the presence of God to be fed and know that you're safe in his presence. Where he gathers you as a loving God to give of himself to you so that you would hear his words. So those words would shape you. So those words would guide you and lead you but then also comfort and encourage. 
so that those words of forgiveness would resound in your ears as we remember that Sabbath day where God rested with his people and we remember the next amazing Sabbath day where Jesus rested in the tomb. There, carrying our sins to die for them. And then to rise again to new life. To rise again and walk and be present with his people once again. And to promise where he is going to come again and be in our presence. And then walk in the midst of his creation once again. Gathering all his people into his presence as he promises to be with them. What a beautiful day to look forward to. When we know that Christ's promises are going to be fulfilled. Because we've seen them fulfilled in the past. And to be able to rest in his presence. And so now in our time as we wait for that day, what do we get to do? Well, any day of the week, really, we can be in God's word. And that's a great thing. But to set aside some sort of time as we remember the fact that God set aside time to be with his people. To trust in that. To gather together. To say the creeds. Remember the teachings. To hear his word. To receive Jesus and body and blood and the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins and strengthening of faith. To be gathered together as his people into his presence, knowing that he's the one that brings peace and he's the one that brings rest. For as Jesus says, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray that as your days go on, you continue to see that Jesus is the one that brings you rest and he doesn't command you to set aside the time so you can check a box. But he promises you his presence in the middle of that rest. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest that you give us. These rhythms that you build in life where we have to stop. Because you love us. We pray that you would let us truly rest in that time. And to know that you are with us. So wherever you gather your people together on whatever day it is and whatever time it is, we pray, Lord, that your word would be central in all of that as we know that you continue to hold on to us in your hands and you give us rest in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as we...